Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. You know, the most important election, and I don't know how many years is happening right now. No, it's not the mayor's election. No, it's not uh, the governor's election. The fat billionaire governor can still be governor, and the idiotic mayor can still have his panic attacks. No, I'm talking about another important election. This one for Cook County State's Attorney, the prosecutor. For years now, we've had Kim Fox, Juicy Smollett's girlfriend, the the savior of uh, criminals, and George Soros as the state's attorney. And, of course, you've seen what's happened. Crime shooting through the roof, murders, mayhem, violence on the trains, everywhere. Old ladies being attacked. I mean, this is just out of a dystopian nightmare, but it's not. It's out of... Cook County in Chicago, and the the campaign to elect the state's attorney is fundamental to that effort. Clayton Harris wants to continue the Kim Fox policy. He says, I see nothing wrong with following what she's done. I mean, madness. And, uh, well, Jeff, you've got a, something for us to listen to here. Yeah, John. I mean, we, we're living through it now, this idea of the redefinition of what crime is and what victims of crime are right at in the Kim Fox universe and the judge Evans universe, uh, people who commit crimes are, you know, they're, they're victims of the system. They're only committing crime because we've essentially have made what they do criminal. That's the kind of the idea. And I'm sure some of our listeners have probably seen this, but this popped up over the weekend. Uh, a black man in America, the road to 2024, this TV show, I believe it's on MSNBC. Of course. Um, it Al, is. Yeah, of course. Al Sharpton and, and Ben Crump, the uh, infamous, famous, however you want to call him, t- attorney, uh, were talking about this very thing and really put it into context and, and said it much better than I could. We can get rid of all the crime in America overnight, just like that. And people ask how, Attorney Crump. Change the definition of crime. Mm. Of course, if you get to define what conduct is going to be made criminal, you can predict who the criminal is going to be. It sounds yeah. like we're criminal, though. Yeah. Our existence no, is the culture. criminal. Well, they That's made the laws. They there made were. the law to criminalize our culture. To fit up. Black culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh. And so when I think of Eric Garner, I always think of stuff like that. Lucy cigarettes. Got it lost his life. Man. Yeah. And then George Floyd was trying to buy cigarettes and so forth. So you have to think about the profile and things that they come up with, the profilers for, pretext your reasons. And it happens every day, y'all. They will come and say, you can't wear baggy pants. Right. Mm-hmm. Make that a crime. Right. You yep. can't have milk cartons in your yard. Right. Make that a crime. Right. And they are arguing that crime is a black thing. It's a cultural thing. Right. That <laughs> crime is a, a white construct that to, to reinforce racism and keep black people down. And I mean, I, I've seen it in my life. That surely is has happened in this country. There's no denying that. But is that what the problem of this country is facing right now, where people are getting you know shot in their own neighborhoods or robbed or their cars stolen at, at unprecedented levels? 
no, that's not the that's not the we're talking about here. One of the true reasons, secret reasons that John Cass likes to do podcasts with Jeff Carlin is that <laughs> they they plant seeds that turn into columns. Like right now, I I'm thinking of like what could Sharpton do for a living once his once uh, Kamala Harris is no longer giving word salads, and you know what it is? Go work. He can take Trump, and they can work for Tony P. Boss Tony Preckwinkle, because that's her philosophy too, right? Isn't it? And she's running the show, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about this. Yeah, you know, the the criminal justice system in this in this country sure has got an, it, a checkered past, to say the least. And we, John, I know I've, you and I've talked about this, but I also, I'll speak for myself specifically, but right. do believe that there were certainly reforms that need to happen to keep people who, like they said, you know, the milk crates in their front yard or whatever it is, some stupid thing. And then they're stuck in, in, in a jail for weeks and months until they get a case, whatever that stuff had to go. That stuff has to be fixed. But the idea that we need to tear it all off and, and it's all of it's a bad thing because it all started from there, not fixing it is what they want to do. And we've seen this time and time again, that they think these great thoughts in quotes, and then mm. there's no follow through or there's no you know idea of what happens next. I mean, we're living it right now with Brandon Johnson, who, who can't do anything uh, right. I mean, the guy has wants to do, wants to change the whole world, but doesn't realize he's got to do small steps to make big change. And, and we're seeing it in real time that he says these things, he says these big world changing things, and then there's no follow through, like you know, the shot spotter system. Oh, by the way, yeah, I, I did away with it. Well, did you tell them? Oh, well, you know, I didn't do it. You know, there's no forethought of anything. I I have no. I'm still stuck in the trying to make sense out of what Fonnie Willis and her father say, with, which <laughs> oh. is which is black people carry a lot of cash. I thought this was a Greek Italian thing, and now blacks are taking over, <laughs> taking this thing over. I guess if you're a shopkeeper. If you run, if you're a peddler, if you run a fruit store, yeah, you do cash. But um, I just yeah, can't make that, heads or tails out of this whole. Right. I mean, when you say that crime is a black thing, I don't think that's really fair to all the people, black people that I know who are legitimate, right. straight up and down. You know, right is right and wrong is wrong, and go to church on Sunday and. Right. Not just not just say they're Christian, but actually study the Bible. And I, I, you know, like, like my good, like my friends, you know, that mm-hmm. I know do that every Sunday. They sing right. in the church. They, they, and they're while they're cooking Sunday dinner for the parish. They, they think about all this stuff, and they can't stand it when a bunch of white journalists. <laughs> Yeah, start uh, making excuses because there are no excuses. You know, it's no. just sad. You know, there are no excuses. But we do have uh, a special guest this week that kind of steps us into this race. Because for those who aren't in the know, you know, Chicago just opened uh, last week the early voting for these the Cook County State's Attorney and any of the primary. It's we won't get in the weeds on how we do things here, but that started and the and the election is is less than a month away. And it's one of these elections that you know, has just a minuscule turnout compared to a general election. That's what Boss Tony wants. She right. Wants Unfortunately, that's what they want because right. the people who are activated to vote in these primaries are activists themselves usually. Um, so I, it's it's very important. So John Gorman's our guest. John, you want to want to give us a little background on John 
Well, John Gorman's here is here not to talk about the state's attorney's race. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, well, I want to make it clear. Yeah, make it right. clear to Tony P, boss Tony P, because she take revenge out on all of Gorman's family, and uh, she he's he's not he's not uh, here to talk about the state's attorney contest. He wants to talk about his novel, Death Before Life. Yeah, and I've sent I've sent Jeff a copy of it. It's great, and. Uh, John Gorman is the former city editor of the Chicago Tribune. He's the guy that, when I showed up for work that one day many years ago, the boss is Dick Ciccone, a tank tank commander in uh, Vietnam, said uh, to John, a former Peace Corps volunteer and bartender throughout the South, throughout Asia, he said, uh, John, uh, find find Cass a seat, and he did. Uh, it was my pleasure and honor to work with him, and, and it's a, by our pleasure and honor to talk about this book, Death Before Life. I just love Chicago detective books, and this is a classic. It is. It's a good one. And John comes from the background, which is, is uh, the, of the state's attorney's office, work, having worked there uh, doing uh, comms and, and, and such, and being a chief of staff. And it's he's got the insight. I mean, he's now seen tons of stories and some really cool details and and john knows it better than i did but john says it's uh well, they, it's touching i mean it's, they it love really the, they love the office they they're they're, they're like uh, the old warrior priests of all you know old i mean these are people traditions of generations of people in that were part of chicago we just we just lost jack higgins the other day and um Pat Hickey on the Chicago on the John Cass News wrote a stunning and beautiful tribute to um, Jack Higgins and talked about how how without the Catholic philanthropy Chicago would never have rebuilt itself after the '68 riots. So get this book. You'll listen to the conversation with John Gorman. Get this book. It's a great read and. Uh, You'll get the next one too if you read this one. There's another one coming out. Yeah, and and or there's no kickback here. We're not getting a piece of this. I know that's the Chicago way, but that's not the Chicago way here when we uh, bring on an authors. So please enjoy. So this is a guy who lives high on the hog, and he has this Tammany Hall style attitude to power, and um, it is it's the Chicago way. Absolutely, Look, the, the, the Chicago way is a deep cultural phenomenon it's the chicago way the chicago way that's the focus in a tower by the river there lived a man there was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword no escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Well, everybody, I'm sitting here with Jeff Carlin of WGN Radio and me, John Cass of JohnCassNews.com, and we're ple- pleased to be joined 
by, I guess, the first guy I met at uh, the Chicago Tribune many, many years ago. He's written a book, and I don't usually recommend books, but I did the other day on Twitter, and a few people wrote back and uh, said they were going out to get it. Death Before Life, a Mike Halloran detective novel by John F. Gorman. Mr. Gorman, this is a great book, and I can't wait till the next one. Yeah, I have just finished the first draft. I uh, brought it to a printer yesterday to print it out to find all my mistakes, because there's nothing like looking at a piece of paper to find your mistakes, right, John? Yeah, well, especially when you're your own editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You miss a lot. But it's about the same length, 70,000, similar similar thing, but... uh, I remember the uh, the day I met you too, Jen. Uh, Tell me I, about it so that we can inspire the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was the uh, the day city editor, so I got in about uh, 7.30. And uh, the managing editor who hired you, Dick Sacconi, had told me the day before that uh, you were going to be coming in and when you came in to find a place for you to sit and, uh, and then uh, – when he got in a little, you know, a little after nine or nine thirty, to bring you in, and so that's just uh, I went out and got you out of the reception, brought you in, and and set you down at the desk. And it contrasts with the reception I got on my first day at the Tribune, when I walked up to a crusty old Day City editor and introduced myself, and he said, "Your fly is down." I said, "What?" He said, "Your fly is down." welcome to the tribune there you go oh that's fantastic john it's great to have you um for those who aren't familiar tell us your story give us the the we always like to do the bona fides your chicago bona fides what uh where'd you begin well i i grew up in the north side Uh, i went to uh, st gertrude's grammar school Loyola academy xavier university i played basketball in high school and college after college, I joined the Peace Corps, went to India, traveled for a couple of years, came back and thought I'd be a foreign correspondent. So I applied for, to City News Bureau, the old training ground, and uh, started there, spent about 20 months, and then uh, called up this uh, Bill Jones, the city editor of the Tribune, and told him I was interested in the job. And he said, when do you want to come in? And the next day I was in uh, in Jones's office, and uh, 26 years later, I left. <laughs> That's not the way I heard it. <laughs> What'd you hear? Well, all right. I heard that there was a tough guy named John Gorman who was maybe not the best basketball player in the world, but had mean elbows, okay? <laughs> and and he was he was a big guy, six five, six six at the time, and could move. And usually guys that large could not move. He should have probably become a wide receiver, but I don't think he, he was short enough for it then. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he gets into a fight in a bar in Milwaukee. And then later with his teammates. And then I guess some wise guy bar. And then later he gets into a fight on the basketball court with, the I guess, an All-American from Xavier. No university, and then and and the first thing Jones asked you was, "Did you get kicked out for fighting or something like that?" That is, didn't he tell well, you that? That that's very close. He looked at my resume and he said, "You started in '62 and you finished in '68. What took you so long?" And I said, "Well, I got thrown out of school after my sophomore year." <laughs> and uh, 
Jones, who was an ex-Marine, says, ah, no crap, what for? And I said, well, I got a fight in the uh, 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 gin mill in Milwaukee after the Marquette game. And <laughs> then uh, Xavier, uh, then two months later, uh, there was a fight against the C- Cincinnati. And, and I uh, punched Ron Bonham, Cincinnati's All-American. And <laughs> and June rolled around, and Xavier wasn't interested in having me as a student or an athlete anymore. Don't. So Jones scratched his tattoo and says, that's great. <laughs> and then seven years later, after Jones had died, probably mm-hmm. not long after you got there, John, right. um, I was talking to Chuck Mount, an old Tribune reporter, and I was talking oh, about Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about Jones, and he said, Yeah, he was a great guy. You know, he was a Hellraiser in, in college. I said, Oh, shit. And he said, Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he got thrown out of University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, because he got in a fight in a bar in, in Milwaukee. And I thought, Good Lord, I never heard that before. So, in, in, in effect, Jones was looking across the desk at himself, and he hired me, and you know, it wasn't because I was a great writer or a great, great reporter when I was 27 years old, but it was, uh, you know, I was his kind of guy, so to speak. Well, there were, there were people like that who actually lived lives before journalism. They didn't just go graduate school, <laughs> then journalism, like little lemmings, you know. I mean, yeah. they had lives, and that I've always felt that the uh, I guess that's a, sort of what they would call blue collar now. Oh, God forbid, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but uh, you know, it's like building a house. You ha- it's a trade, not an art form. And I, I I never got around to impressing that on enough people that counted at the paper, uh, yeah. the ones who did the hiring, but. You had a life, John, and you can see it in all your work, in you, in your coverage of all these stories. You covered, uh, you covered crime. You were the city uh, city editor for many years, and you also, you were my boss, and you were also there. But then you went on to work at the state's attorney's office for Dick Devine for years after that, and. Yeah. Uh, at that time, I saw newspapers changing for not for the better, but for the worse, because we got into a kick now where then where we had where everyone who was on death row had to be innocent and everyone who was a criminal had to be released. And, and, and anyone arrested was, I don't know, hurt by. Uh, systemic racism or whatever the hell they call it. Not just, it wasn't just a barbarian who bashed the old lady's head in with a mallet. He he was, uh, he was a victim of something. And we, again and again, on and on. And you persevered in the, uh, in that job with uh, state's attorney divine. And I have to say, John, I don't think I was very fair to Mr. Divine, because well, I was mad, you know, I was pissed off about Rich Daly, but then I brought up to the Tribune reporters, why are you guys going after Dick Divine for all these un, you know, for these cases? Like you have to redo these wrongs. It wasn't Divine. Dick Daly, Rich Daly was the uh, state's attorney, and yeah. one of the one of the reporters. At the Tribune, turned to me and said, John, you don't understand. 
Rich Daly's the mayor, and uh, he's not really all that involved in what happened at the state's attorney's office. And I thought, okay, so you already have, you couldn't, back in the day, you couldn't even get away with that kind of thinking. Like, I've done, I've got my, the end of my story, now I just have to fill in the blanks. Yeah. But yeah. that's what happened, Jim. So yeah. anyway, that's my view. Yeah. Well, it, it's your, what you say kind of segues into the reason I wrote that book. You remember, John, in 82, um, George Ryan was the governor, and he was in trouble. He was about to get indicted. He had stories almost daily about his involvement in the the, uh, the bribe scandal with the Secretary of State's office when he was Secretary of State. So Ryan decided he was going to let all have some clemency hearings for all 150 guys on death row. Horrible people. Horrible people. Committed horrific crimes. But he put them all through it. He put the victims through hell again. I don't understand. I didn't get it. Yeah. For himself. Uh, There was a little girl um, who was six years old when um, Lawrence Jackson invaded their home to drug beef. And he killed this girl's mother and aunt and sister and two other relatives and stabbed this little girl. 47 times, and I'm prepping her for her testimony in the, in the, in the hearings, and now she's 21, oh, holding her hand, and she's, she's telling me this story. It, it, it breaks your heart. And the uh, so we went through that travesty, as you say. George Ryan had already made up his mind what he did, but he put those people through that trauma, you know, ripped off that emotional scab off of all these families, and then let everybody off death row anyway. Uh, shame on him. Well, he didn't let, leave them all. He he got one th- that deserved it. Uh, I remember because I, I was a kid reporter then, and he was this uh, assailant uh, criminal was Greek. His name yep. was, uh, wait, uh, Cocorellis. Yeah, Cocorellis. He was a man burner and a psycho. And uh, yeah, it's it was time to put him down and he did. Yeah. And that was 1999. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I didn't bother George's conscience, uh, conscience then, but uh, <laughs> three years later when he was in trouble, he was currying favor with the tribune and the uh, others in the press. So, um, you know, it was, it was, it was an awful uh, two weeks that these, uh, these poor families went through. You're listening to John Gorman, former city editor, the Chicago Tribune, and uh, spokesman for this Cook County State's Attorney's Office. He's written a novel, Death Before Life, and I recommend it highly. I will write about it, and you're, we're talking about it now. So you can get it on Amazon, where I got mine. Are you still working with Amazon? Are they doing the next book, John? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amazon just lowered the price. I put it in a... $15 price tag on it, but now Amazon has got it down to $7.21. So a bargain. <laughs> so it's a bargain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and for those who are too impoverished to come up with $7.21, it's also available through the Chicago Public Library. They got a couple copies on, on file. Well, you better turn in your copies because people want to read <laughs> this book. John, uh, let, can we talk a little, little bit, Jeff, do we have time sure. to talk a little bit about the writing? Because yeah. there are elements of this book 
like from a writer's perspective, you, you see it and you're like, oh man, you know, like the kind of thing I would react when I read, uh, like an Ann Keegan story. And you know what? Basically, I, wow. I'm sure John may have edited some of her stuff. Oh, she sat right next to me. She was a, a great writer and a great reporter and uh, gone too soon. And Merciless, when she wanted to go after you, I, I'll i tell this story once. Uh, I, I got a, a suit because I was embarrassed by not having a suit, so I went down to Bigsby and Crothers, and I should have got a Brooks Brothers-style suit, but she took one look at me, and she said, Nathan Detroit comes to the Tribune. And I thought, <laughs> oh, boy. I, I, would not, I knew I would never live it down, and she never stopped uh, saying it, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right, let's get to the book. Yeah, to the, the book. book. I mean, it's it's part of the it's you could it's called a Mike Holleran uh, detective novel. So you, you, when you were writing this book, it sounds like you had like a trilogy in mind, or like at least a a whole universe developed. And, and from what John and is talking, you guys have talked about so far, it sounds like you got a lot of material to to grift through. And oh, uh, <laughs> so, what what really sparked? I mean, what. What was the impetus? What's the image in your head when you started to set down to write this? Well, really, the image in my head was to go after George Ryan and and the the, the clemency hearings and what a travesty it was. I sat down that the shortly after those hearings were over, I sat down in my basement and after dinner, I found out two or three hours worth of stuff, and I did that for about three months. And I found found out about uh, one hundred ninety thousand words, Ooh. which is three almost three times the length of this book and then it sat there because i tried to get it published published through the uh, agents in new york and they yawned at it and two out of maybe 65 replied with one sentence uh, denials and so it sat on my uh on a flash drive for 13 or 14 years and i was talking to a, a fellow uh tribune ex-tribune guy jim elsner who had written about his experience in camp lejeune as a marine and then his time in vietnam and uh he uh he told me about you know how he had self-published and i and i said well, what would that cost you he said 1200 now i priced it out way back when at like seven eight thousand dollars and my ego wasn't that big so i took a pass on it but i thought hundred dollars i can handle that so I contacted his guys, and uh, and then I then I, I then I started chopping at this thing. I went to vacation in Mexico, and I sat down at the computer and I chopped one hundred ninety five thousand out of ninety five thousand words down to seventy thousand, and you know threw threw chapters over my shoulders, got rid of them. But then I had to go back and edit myself to make sure you know, John, that you you didn't painful, didn't, yeah. It's painful, but you also don't want to, you know, get rid of some person that you refer to later. So it was, it was yeah. painful, but it was, uh, in the end, I had uh, Ross Worland, former Tribune editor, right. uh, edit the book, and who was a crack uh, copy editor, and then Elsner. They both edited it, and then I turned it over to the publishers. And uh, I was really, I wasn't expecting a lot, but I got my money back, and I connected with a lot of old friends uh, that I hadn't heard of uh, from for 50 years or more. It was right. uh, it was very cool. <laughs> Ed, you probably also have heard from readers, and I'm telling you, if just as a reader alone, when you, your 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 descriptions of the life 
of of being a police officer involved in crime stories, the brutalization of uh, the environment, the the uh, I don't know. It's like the desensitization of people. Yeah, and it's just and and the depictions of the morgue, like the uh, what was the name? Are the weird uh, the weird medical examiner? Uh, Dark Stein. Stein, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going into stories that I shouldn't probably mention <laughs> on the air about stuff about stuff he collected. But yeah, it was uh, it was just amazing, and you uh, brought all that back to life at a time when you're speaking of one governor releasing all these killers or and, and springing them from death row, and right now we have another force in in illinois in chicago and cook county where the governor and the uh and the state's attorney are hell-bent on reducing the number of people in the jails until they until what until we don't have any more jails no more people no more criminals (laughs) yeah you know it's funny john my uh, when i talk about the morgue uh, the late Nancy Jones, she was the uh, oh, yeah. examiner for uh, maybe a, a dozen years or so in in uh, Chicago. She also mm-hmm. did some cases up in Lake County. And I'd seen her testify in the Lake County case, and I thought she was really good and uh, impregnable uh, from the defense attorneys. So I went and interviewed her at the morgue, and that's where I got the that you know the, the, the character, the yeah. door, the the smell, the and a lot of the logistics and what she's talking about medical things she was she was very helpful um but you know it was it was the 26th in california uh stuff that i'd seen firsthand as a reporter and then as the secretary for divine um that you know i i drew from all of that to uh to slip it into the book (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sean, so seeing you, you have a background in you know, being in the state's attorney's office, and I assume you still follow the news as it's hard to get that out of your blood. What, what has been your reaction in the last few years or your, your gut instinct on, on some of the stories you've seen come out of the, the state's attorney's office? Not necessarily the crime stuff, but the the dysfunction, the, the, the Kim Fox stuff, the mass exodus, the, the oh. weird policy changes. I mean, how would you have dealt with some of that? Or what would that have impact on you been back in the day? Well, if there is such a contrast between, uh, between Kim Fox and Dick Devine, the backgrounds, the way of approaching things. Uh, Dick was, I was with him. He was in office for 12 years. And uh, he was, I was with him for nine and a half of those years. And it, it was funny because I'd known Dick since grammar school. He lived a block away from me in, uh, in Edgewater. And uh, he was my ride to school when I was a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And I, he, he, with that background, we, Dick was the, the uh, attorney making lawyerly decisions. Mm-hmm. And I was the reporter or ex-reporter trying to figure out what to do with these stories that were flowing out of the state's attorney's office. And I got to say that in all those years, I never uh, was in con- uh, conflict with Dick over any lawyerly decision he made. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we agreed on everything because, you know, because <laughs> two different people, two different ideas. Right. But he was, uh, he was 
pretty pretty pope like he was he was really uh made very 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 few bad decisions it's not for everyone and uh, you know i i kim's on her way out and now we're looking at uh, a new person coming yeah. in and march 19th we've got a primary coming up and choices choices to be, to be made between clayton harris and uh eileen o'neill burke um it's 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 a big it's a big you know everybody's talking about Trump and Biden but that's a, that's a big uh, a big uh, vote coming up too sure. on state's attorney very important what would you say what, I mean being in that position obviously you're not the end all you know arbiter of what's a, a good state's attorney but what do you think I mean the per- personality wise I mean I know policy is a thing that I, I it's hard to get around because you never know. But what do you think a good leader in that position should have? What should people look out for between these two candidates? Well, I think you look at their background, and it's it's funny. I watched the uh, the debate that was on Channel Seven uh, a, a week or so ago, uh-huh. and uh, they the two of them were talking about restorative justice. Yeah, and Harris said, "Well, we've got to spread the." Uh, restorative justice um, down to the juvenile level because yeah. the kids deserve a break too. And I'm sitting there and I'm shouting at the television, the Juvenile Justice Reform Act, 1998, mm-hmm. Dick Devine pushed it through. It, it was initially put brought in for the juveniles and it was initiated by, by Dick 25 years ago. And he's saying, like, oh, well, let's spread it to the juveniles. That's where it began, and it's still been going on for 25 right. years. And he thinks that now he's going to spread it down to the the juveniles. It was, I mean, it was appalling. Oh, so uh, so clearly knowing the history of the place is important because. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, one thing I think that many of us miss is that there's a cadre of people that love the office, that love what it does. That yes. understand that it's a resp- it's it's like they're warrior priests and the the leaders the political guys ch- come and go they change, but there has always been a cadre of coppers of states attorneys that know that bad guys have to be pulled off the streets and they they they're put together in ways that we can't even understand and they and when when crap hits the fan. There's always a crew that gets sent out there to to do what has to be done and get the bad guy. And I don't think I I think that we're losing them because they're, we're breaking we're breaking not we not you and me and Jeff but they're being broken because they're they can't deal with the institution anymore. And that's to me the great crime of our of our uh, politic in Cook County. You're you're right about the great cadre of of former, uh, obviously former cops, but also former uh, assistant state attorneys. Yeah, I was there. There was a turnover rate of about eight percent a year. So eight percent of about eight hundred uh, attorneys, you get sixty four people leaving every year, and and that's been going on forever. I mean, there's people that are that are my age that are uh, former assistant state attorneys, and it's like it, it is it's like um, people who started out together at City News or people who started out in high school together or grammar school, there is that cadre and that loyalty. And uh, it's it's a powerful, it's a powerful group of people. Well, we have, 
we have Mike Halloran, six <laughs> five. Like uh, I just see him as a a guy with a like a pink ham with a broken nose on the end of it, and uh, <laughs> and and there's uh, there's uh, the beautiful Ms. Ortiz, Mrs. Ortiz, uh, his partner. Um, okay. What's going to happen? Who's going to play them in the movie? Because uh, we got to, when we write stuff, we got to think about TV now and movies. So who's going to well, play it? Yeah, I, I, could, I could dream about that. But uh, the, <laughs> the, the tall actor who uh, was in the uh, the Wedding Crashers, um, Vince Vaughn, uh, who is a local guy, he went to Lake Forest High School. Um, so he's a local guy and he's a big guy and he can, he's very versatile. I could see him playing Halloran. And, uh, <laughs> as far as the, Halloran's love, uh, 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 mate, uh, Miss Egan, you know, there's a, a plethora of, of good looking, uh, 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 actresses who could play her. Yeah. I think you could go with Michelle Moynihan, but I'm not going to cast your own movie. <laughs> That's good. a good voice. Uh, that's a good one. Well, I I hope you'll come back and uh, talk about that and other other issues facing uh, the prosecutor prosecutor's office in Chicago and Cook County. You're all, all always welcome. Yeah, Jan, love to have you. Where can people find you if they want to track you down? You uh, have just at the back of the book, I guess, or is there a handle you're on Twitter? If, or, if you yeah. owe people money, where do they go? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I've. Uh... Recently moved from Chicago to Hinsdale. Um, oh, be closer, be closer to my grandchildren, and frankly, to get away from some of the crime that was uh, around when I lived at surprisingly uh, Lakeshore Drive and and Gray Street, which you think would mm. be kind of a quiet neighborhood. Sure. It it turned out not to be so quiet. So, yeah, I'm out in Hinsdale now. Um, I, I'm not not hiding from anybody. Well, just take take Ogden out to what to uh, Cass Avenue, <laughs> Westmont, <laughs> and 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 drop in to a place called Katie's Dumpling House. Oh. It's right out of Chinatown. It's really authentic food and uh, great dumplings. Yeah, I love it. Well, people can find you on Twitter too at John Gorman five forty one. So that the if they can keep their eyes there for the next announcement of the next book. So yeah, that's great. Hey, listen, it's great talking to you guys. Uh, and John, I was telling Jeff earlier that uh, I I followed your career with great interest because I was the first guy to talk to you at the Tribune. But you you had a hell of a career there. Uh, your your writing is is enviable. You are look. You're so kind, but. I, I never thought I never feel worthy enough to uh, to talk about this stuff, and especially with pe- with professionals that I respect, like true pros, pros like yourself and Garrett and people like that. I just want to say it was my my honor, my pleasure, and my honor to work with people at the at the paper that really loved. The institution of the paper, and yeah. no matter what's happened to it since then, I'll always have that. So thank you, thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, John. Nice talking to you guys. See you, man. For John Gorman, former city editor of the Chicago Tribune, the first guy that met me at work, and spokesman for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office for ten years after that, and now a novelist. 
Death Before Life is his book. Go get it and get the next one, a Mike Halloran detective novel. And for Jeff Carlin, executive producer at WGN Radio, my friend, future physics leader, uh, teacher, and friend of cats, and me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of John Cass News, where you always get a good cup of common sense. Thanks for joining us, and join us again next time, won't you? On the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. Plus.